Welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont from DuPont Wealth Solutions. As a practicing advisor and attorney, Greg teaches pre-retirees how to reduce debt and taxes and save with less risk so they have more spendable income and plan their way to a better life. Join us for this journey where Greg draws on years of experience and guest experts to help listeners achieve more spendable income for retirement. Hello and welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont of DuPont Wealth Solutions. Greg, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, Eric. I am doing fantastic. You should be. This is your uh, this is your first guest on a podcast. Yeah, I think think it's time for us to open up the world and start uh, bringing different messages out. So I did decide that I would invite uh, someone to share what I believe is a very important message for our audience uh, to listen to. So we're going to uh, pour ourselves a, a little drink here, virtually, of course, and mm-hmm. uh, chat with uh, Braden Blumensteel, uh, who happens to, me, to be my law partner. Uh, and uh, he has uh, got a little different charge in his world than I do. Uh, he gets to sue people. I like to say oh, that. Nice. Yeah, he 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 gets to the pleasure out of suing people. I get my pleasure out of soothing people, and uh, <laughs> together we kind of uh, are the yin and yang of things. But um, the reason Braden's on today for us, Eric, to have that virtual drink, you know, the mission of uh, this podcast is to provide people information so that their money supports their life in the way that they want to live it. But this is almost a public service announcement today because one of Braden's uh, his areas that he focuses on that is really one that's not known by many people is he pursues remedies for people that have been injured in the administration of a vaccine. Wow! Uh, and so, hmm. so I think it's very important for people to understand uh, that this remedy is potentially out there. Um, now, Braden and I both uh, avoid the politics of vaccines. It's it's it is something that's very charged, mm-hmm. uh, but there are some facts and some realities that people need to understand. And I think that Braden's messaging might be helpful to some people that are concerned about whether or not they should get the COVID vaccination, which is now becoming more available. So uh, that's why Braden's on here today. And uh, with that, uh, Eric, I'd like to introduce you to uh, my partner, who I'm proud to call my partner, uh, Braden Blumensteel. Braden, thank you so much for being on the show. I I did not know that there was a specialized section. I mean, I should have probably known that, but uh, for vaccinations. That's that's so interesting to me. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's not not a whole lot of people know about it. Um, I'd like to first just say I am uh, honored. I did not know I was the first guest on this. Um, so uh, thank you, Greg, for inviting me on. I appreciate that. Honored to be on. Uh, this is my first podcast, so I guess there's a lot of firsts going on right All right. Now. So, yeah, with regard to the Vaccine uh, Act, it's actually uh, Congress passed the Vaccine Act in 1986. Um basically saw that, uh, unfortunately, although vaccines can do a lot of good for a lot of people, which they do, Mm -hmm. uh, there are people that can have an adverse reaction to vaccines. And uh, unfortunately, there are some people, although rare, uh, that can have their lives and their families' lives um, altered uh, so significantly, their entire life changes. Mm -hmm. And um, 
my background has been in personal injury. Uh, I have uh, spent my entire career trying to help those that have unfortunately had something bad happen to them and, and try to use the law to seek compensation for them to do what I can with my legal education to help people the best way I can. The Vaccine Act is just one other avenue uh, that uh, I try to pursue to help people uh, in such circumstances. And Braden, as, as we walk into this conversation, you know, I think it's, it'd be important for people to understand, you know, what is a, a vaccine injury that is actually one that is part of the compensation plan uh, that you just spoke of. You know, you know, I just had my second vaccine shot. I've been fortunate enough to, to have gotten both of them now. And, you know, I had uh, fevers and aches, and I know a lot of my uh, friends that uh, that got it as well would have different varying levels of illness, you know, a couple of days of being sick for some people or um, vaccine shot in, you know, their arms sore for a little while. What is the type of injury? Injury that rises to the level that somebody should come uh, and seek some guidance as to whether or not they are entitled to compensation under this program? Okay, um, that's a good question. And there's basically just one major guideline is, um, and I'll get into more details that uh, fall in line after this major guideline, which is, did do you believe that you've been injured as a result of a vaccination that you received? Um, that is the core question that the court is going to want to know. And that's basically when we file a petition on behalf of a, of a client. That is our obligation to prove that the vaccine did, in fact, cause the injuries we allege were the result of that vaccination. There's more details. Um, it gets a little bit more complicated than just that. But that's the core issue at every, every case that we handle. Can we prove that the vaccination caused the injury? Uh, I can give more details on what the court looks for uh, if you guys think that that would be worthwhile to the audience. Well, well what are the types of injuries that um, you know the court looks for and says, okay, so this is uh, caused by the vaccine and this is something that you should be compensated for? Is it is it I've threw up for three days or do I have does it need to be more than you know, grueling than that? Um, actually, uh, you hit on a rather important point. Uh, one of the things, because it is not unusual that people will have some sort of um, symptomatology uh, after receiving a vaccination, whether it's a, just a sore arm due to the needle or, or something more significant like nausea, um, those are all things that are common with vaccinations. Uh, you do not get compensation for those more typical types of uh, symptoms following a vaccination. One of the things the court requires is that the symptomatology, whatever it is, lasts for six months or more following mm -hmm. the vaccination. So you can have, uh, now there are exceptions if someone has anaphylactic shock and they die shortly after the administration of the vaccine, that's different. But um, absent death, Essentially, what ends up happening is you have to show that your symptoms lasted more than six months or else you cannot get compensation under the Vaccine Act. Um, furthermore, the court actually has this thing called table injury. Um, and this is based on the fact that they've seen certain vaccines can cause certain ailments or medical injuries. And they've seen it enough that if one of our clients has a petition that's filed in which they can show that a vaccine that qualifies under the table caused an injury that is also considered a on-table injury and the first onset of symptoms occurred within this allotted time that the court has said 
it qualifies, then you can have a presumption that the vaccine caused the injury. And I can make it a little bit more concrete by uh, using an example. Uh, people get the flu shot uh, all the time, yeah. and most people are fine with it. But every once in a while, people will have an adverse reaction. The type of adverse reaction can vary considerably. But the, there's one that if you have a flu shot and you get this, this syndrome called Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, if you have that, if you're diagnosed with that, and you have an onset of symptoms between 3 and 42 days post-vaccination from the flu vaccine, then there is a presumption, the court will presume, that the vaccine is what caused the Guillain-Barre, and then you can get compensation for that injury. Um, it, with that presumption, it's a very powerful presumption because you'll get compensation unless the opposing counsel on the case can point to something else as more probable as causing the Guillain-Barre syndrome than the flu. So if you get an on, it's called an, it's called an on-table injury. And if you qualify for that, then there will be a presumption that your injury deserves compensation. And then we would just move into how much compensation is warranted. Uh, most cases are considered an off-table injury. And what by that I mean, it's a vaccine that we allege caused an injury of some sort, an adverse reaction to the vaccine. But it hasn't occurred frequently enough that the court just presumes that the vaccine caused that injury. Therefore, we have to go through uh, more of a process in order to demonstrate to the court that, in fact, the vaccine was the cause of our client's injury. Those get a lot more detailed, a lot more complex than an on-table injury, but um, that's basically how the two types of claims get broken down, on-table versus off-table. Both require six months of symptoms before you can seek compensation. Gotcha. Did you get all that, Eric? I, I did. And, and, and my only my only clarifying question on that is, uh, you, you said six months of symptoms. Uh, so two examples. If you get a vaccine and there's neurological damage, that that may not just be a symptom, right? I, I know they Correct. can try to treat neurological or your arm falls off, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. That's not growing back in six months or, or we're not going to wait, right? Uh, so right. Would, would those be, it would just be a matter of proving that the vaccine did the neurological damage uh, and it would be accelerated, I would assume. Yes. Yes. Okay. If you get like a permanent injury, um, obviously then, you know, that allows me to say, well, it's a permanent, so the symptoms lasted. But yeah, if there's neurological damage, which we do see in uh, many of our claims, um, that, that would also be deemed compensable as long as we can demonstrate that the vaccine caused that and it wasn't caused by something else. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you're not seeing a whole lot of arms just falling off. So that would be a good thing. So arms falling off. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know if I've come across that one. Um, you know, I have seen that people can get, and I guess that's, that brings up another, um, another type of injury that just came to mind. Um, there are injuries that caused by the vaccine enters the body interacts with the central nervous system, causes uh, various ailments that result in um, medical injury. Mm -hmm. But sometimes uh, it's just, it's not the vaccine itself, it's the needle. So oh, you get okay. the shot and unfortunately the shot hits a nerve and you can get frozen shoulder syndrome or things of that nature. People can get, um, they can have a lot of problems, but it's due to the needle. So it doesn't really technically mm. have anything to do with the vaccine. It's just that the needle you know, for, I guess to use the phrase, hit a nerve yeah. <laughs> or something else and cause yeah. damage. Yeah. Um, but you can get compensation for that, even though it's not technically the vaccine. So, so how does a claim get started then? Well, most people are going to be familiar with kind of um, a complaint, 
a plaintiff mm-hmm. and a defendant. Um, and the system works similar to that, except the names are a little bit different. Instead of a complaint, it's called a petition. Instead of the plaintiff, it's called a petitioner. And instead of defendant, it's called the respondent. So that's basically the parties that get involved in, in these things. All right. With regard to the Vaccine Act, well, what ends up happening is for our clients, I will file the petition, um, which is like the complaint, but I file it up in the Federal Court of Claims in Washington, D.C. Mm. In that petition, I will put together the factual allegations of my client that basically just setting forth the case on why we believe that the vaccine caused the injuries. Then we'll ask for compensation. So in terms of getting something started, it's as simple as contacting an attorney, gathering the relevant evidence, usually medical records, putting the petition together, getting it filed up in the Federal Court of Claims in Washington, D.C., and then you supplement the record with all the associated documents that you believe prove your client's claim. Hmm. So, so Braden, what is, what's that process look like for the average petitioner once uh, something is filed uh, in Washington, D.C.? Well, you know, after they've gotten through the process of retaining an attorney and talking to the attorney and giving that attorney all the information that they need and we get the documents filed with the court, um, we get a chance to supplement the record. Basically, what's nice is that we get to craft our argument and give all the supporting documents that we think are necessary to prove our client's claim. And so we will file the petition initially, but then if there's additional documents, whether it's additional medical records whether it's affidavits from witnesses that we think can give supporting evidence to support our client's claim, um, we get a chance to put that all onto the record. And the, the respondent, like the defense attorney, holds off looking at our evidence and looking at our petition until we tell them that we believe we've supplied everything necessary for them to review the complaint and make a determination whether they are going to um, agree that compensation is warranted or whether they're going to fight our claim. Um, so normally, you file the petition, we get the, med- we get the medical records and all the other supporting documents filed. Then there's going to be a lull of a few months uh, while the respondent, the attorney for the respondent, gets to look over what we submitted. And then they will decide whether or not they're going to fight the claim or whether they're going to say, yep, we agree, the vaccine caused the injury. Let's now move into settlement discussions and looking at the appropriate amount of compensation for the petitioner. Hmm. Now, you're saying that this is filed in Washington, D.C. I don't know exactly how the court system works, especially in Washington, D.C., and I don't care to. <laughs> but my, my question is, does the petitioner or your client, do they have to go to court? Typically, the vast majority of the time, they're never going to have to see the inside of a courtroom or oh, anything nice. like that. Um What's great about this is that everything is done electronically. So I don't even have to go up to Washington, D.C. Sometimes I may have to, but it's rare. For our clients, no. I mean, their actual, like, level of involvement uh, in this process will be communicating with us, helping us gather the information that they need, and that's basically it. We'll take care of the rest. Now, we may bug the client for more information when necessary mm-hmm. so we can do the best job we can to support the claim. But they aren't. Good. it's very rare for them to have to um, talk to the court, testify, uh, things like that. So really, that's one of the good things about this program is we know that our clients are suffering. And I think the court realizes that yeah. as well. And so we try to make it as least intrusive as possible on our clients 
and you know even the medical providers, their 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 doctors and stuff. We try to leave them alone as well and try to prove the case without having to intrude on people's lives and make them sit through a bunch of depositions and go to court. Nice. So, Braden, yep. um, as a as a reformed uh, trial attorney myself, um, I know a lot of people uh, don't like to to have that deposition experience where they have to come into some type of conference room and get grilled by the other counsel. Does does that happen in a vaccine uh, claim claim case? Well, you know, you use the term grilled, and uh, and, and I would say that getting grilled by opposing counsel, uh, no. Uh, what it is is, and the good thing about this is, there's it's an adversarial system. So there, it's not that we could just submit something and they agree with us every time and give us a bunch of money. We have to prove our claim, and so the respond the attorney for respondent uh, will, you know, look it over and say, well, we think that. You know, this is a weakness of the case or whatever. They're going to challenge it. But the good thing about it is that the vast majority of the time, we can have the entire case basically pushed through and decided without our client having to sit for a deposition. And that makes it rare because in the personal injury world, other areas that uh, I've practiced, uh, typically my client would have to sit for a deposition and answer the opposing counsel's questions. Um, I, it does happen in this case, in this type of case, vaccine acts, you know, they do have depositions, but it's a lot more uncommon. And when they occur, my clients I've seen are treated well. And because regardless of the cause, whether the respondent disagrees with whether the vaccine caused it, they realize that they're dealing with people that have had a really difficult incident occur in their life that's affected their entire life in their family's life. And so um, it's not like what you see on TV where the opposing counsel is trying to badger the person. They'll ask questions and, and my client will answer them, but it's not being grilled. Are and it's rare. That, is it, are they doing that by Zoom and things like that? So can they do it in the oh. comfort of their own home or... Yeah. Um, now, sometimes you might have to come into my office, but we have clients that are all over the nation. And so uh, we have people down in North Carolina. We have people all throughout the United States. And um, the great thing about technology is that if we need to have them deposed, they, we can find a location for them, whether it's a court reporter's office or if with the advancement in technology, more often our clients can just do it from their own home. And we can do these things via Zoom. That's, I, mean, that, I love that because like you said a moment ago, these people are suffering. Right. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody wants to sue somebody else to get money because, you know, they're injured. Uh, the bottom line is yeah. they're injured. They're suffering. There's, there's mm -hmm. something going on there. So that's great that they're able to do it remotely. Um, and I like the fact that you even said the court recognizes, you know, that these people are suffering. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. How long does it take to resolve a claim? Because not only are they suffering physically, most likely, a lot of, I'm assuming the majority of the time it's impacted their work as well. So now they're suffering financially. So how long does it take? I doubt it, it, it affects, you know, it can affect every aspect of their life. Um, and unfortunately, you know, these, these are complicated, very medically complicated cases. Um, you have to look at the microscopic level of how like a vaccine can interact with central nervous system and do things of that nature and figure out medically um, how it is that the vaccine could have caused the, the injuries that we allege. And therefore, it takes a lot. It, unfortunately, it does take time. Um, you know, sometimes it 
can take a year, two years, three years or more. Mm. Um, wow. What we do is we try our best to put together our best argument as quick as possible with as much support as we can to try to help the court system come to a, a quicker resolution. Uh, but unfortunately, the reality is is that they have um, eight special masters, which is like a judge, mm. but eight of them uh, to review thousands upon thousands of these petitions every year. And so they're backlogged. And, um, you know, regrettably, it does take some time. Uh, but we do our best to uh, push this through because we recognize uh, what an impact this can have, not only on the person who suffered the adverse reaction and injury, but their entire family. Um, very often it's, it affects everyone. Yeah. So Braden, since, you know, the mission of this podcast is to help people make smart decisions with their money, uh, and so that their money will support their lifestyle. Uh, I'd hate to add insult to injury. Uh, does, what type of expenses, uh, would an injured person face? I mean, they have to pay thousands of dollars of legal fees, medical expenses. What's that look like? Well, in terms of medically, um, they will be responsible for paying their own medical bills while this process goes on because um, that's considered outside of the petition, outside of the legal uh, channel that we would be pursuing uh, for them. But hopefully they have medical insurance or things of that nature. Um, if not, those are things that we can try to find resources for them. But in terms of pursuing a claim with the Federal Court of Claims, one of the unique aspects of pursuing these types of claims is that uh, they will not be responsible for putting up money for expenses in advance. Uh, now that happens with personal injury uh, of, of quite a bit, but with the court, one of the, the court realizes, I believe, that uh, these people obviously have had their life altered and, and it's affected so many aspects of, of their existence that they are trying to do things to help ease the burden somewhat. And so one of the things that they do is as long as we have a good faith, reasonable basis for a claim, the court will actually pay for the expenses. Now, our firm advances the money for the expenses, but when we get the case settled or resolved one way or another, as long as we have a reasonable good faith basis for the claim, the court will reimburse those expenses. So really, people don't have to pay expenses on these things. Um, it's a very, very, very rare exception that they would have to pay any money uh, to pursue a, a claim like this. So, wow! I mean, that I did not expect that answer uh, at all. Uh, that the court itself—it's unusual. Pay for it. Yeah, that's uh, yay government did, did something right. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's one of those times. Now I don't want to go talk too much about it, but it's like, it is one of those times that I think they're yeah. doing the right thing. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, so let me ask you this: I know that the process takes quite some time. Uh, but how soon should somebody reach out to you uh, or an attorney if they feel they've sustained some sort of compensatable injury? I'm assuming there would be a, a length of time for proving things and all that jazz. So what's your best shot on that? Well, I, to anyone who thinks that they've suffered a vaccine-related injury, I would say get on the phone and call someone You know, today. And it's been somewhat facetious, but honestly – uh, one of the difficult things, one of the, one of the hard parts about pursuing these claims for me is that um, there's deadlines that are really, really strict, mm. um, more strict than in other areas of law. Um, and, and, and they can be as short as two years from the date of first onset of symptoms. Um, and so 
I, as a rule, um, just say, you know, if we have uh, if we have a client that's been injured by a vaccine, you know, we got to get that petition filed within two years of the uh, date of vaccination. It can be up to three years, but as a safe safe rule, we try to do it by two years. Um, so therefore, if someone feels that they've been injured by a vaccine, I would call an attorney, an experienced attorney, as soon as possible because delaying it can result in you missing the deadline. And if you miss the deadline, you don't get any chance for compensation. Uh, and that's one of the tough things about these types of cases mm. is you know there's these hard deadlines and, and they don't really budge. Um, so if someone feels like they may have suffered a, a vaccine-related injury, you should call an attorney. You should have an initial consult should be free. Um, so just call someone who's got experience in this uh, just to see if what your rights are and whether or not you have a viable claim. Eric, I'd like to add at this point that uh, you know Braden is on a, a mission uh, with this uh, this particular area of the law. You know, as you reflected, it's uh, unusual that the government would do something like they have in terms of uh, mm-hmm. providing a, a medium for legal representation, which essentially is being paid for by the government. And that's and that's because there is a strong, obviously, public policy basis uh, to promote uh, vaccines and, the, and recognition that, you know, even if a very small percentage of people do get injured uh, by the vaccine process, uh, they are entitled to compensation. So one of the tools that Braden has put together is he's cultivated some resources and he's put them at a website uh, called www.vaccineactlawyers.com, where, amongst other things, there's access to a consumer guide that he has prepared that kind of highlights some of the things that we've talked about here today. Uh, He's also cultivated a Facebook support page for people that have been injured by vaccine, and there are in excess of Mm -hmm. a 1,000 people that are members of that group, and it's uh, at uh, facebook.com backslash groups backslash vaccine victims. It is a moderated and curated site, so uh, we try to keep the conversation civil on there. Um, and also in the show notes, we're going to put a couple of federal resources that are out there for people. Uh, one is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and another, the other is the National Vaccine Information System. A bunch of letters in there, uh, so I'm not going to try to so- spell those out, but they will be in the show notes here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Braden, what a wealth of information you are. Uh, I can see why Greg appreciates you and likes working with you so much. Uh, thank you oh, so thank much you. for being on the show, and congrats for being the very first guest. Hey, honestly, this is great. I was uh, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, bringing me on and and helping me through this. As I said, it's my first podcast. Uh, hopefully, it went fairly well. I think it went great. Greg, any closing thoughts from you today? So again, folks, you know, the mission of uh, this podcast is to help you live your life in the way that you want to live it. And uh, we do not want to get into the politics of vaccines, but you do need to understand uh, that there are some people that do get injured by this. Uh, and it's um, good to know that there are resources out there uh, to get compensation. So don't let the fear of injury uh, keep you away from getting vaccinated against COVID. Uh, it's we got to do it uh, to get our economy back in running. Yeah, absolutely, uh, gentlemen. One more time, I want to thank you for being uh, on the show and Greg for obviously hosting this show. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to your financial advocate with Greg Dupont. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. 
This way, when Greg comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at DuPont Wealth Solutions, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Advocate. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of DuPont Wealth Solutions. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 